Good morning. Yeah. Well done. Surely there's not that many things people like about Auckland. I do like the Warriors and the Blues, I hate to admit it, I'm a Blues fan. Roger Tuivasa Sheck this year. Come on. Um, well, if you haven't been with us the, the past few weeks, we've been in a series called uh, I'm Ready, and basically it's based on a text in, in the book of Luke where Jesus urges his disciples to live their lives ready, ready as if he could come back at any moment. And so we've kind of been exploring what does it mean to live our lives ready, and I'm going to jump straight into that, that piece of scripture this morning that we've kind of been studying for the, the past few weeks. So in Luke 12, it says this, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to, to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Jesus urges us to live our lives ready, to live our lives on guard, to live our lives on watch. And we've kind of been talking about what does it mean to be ready, because I'm sure all of us would agree that when we stand face to face with Jesus, we, we want to be found growing in our faith. We want to be found more passionate. We want to be found progressing forward. We don't want to be found on the back burner or, or lacking in zeal. We want to be found ready. So, so over the past few weeks, we've talked a little bit about what does it mean to be ready. In the first week, we talked about I'm ready to commit. And we talked about that the commitments that you make in life will ultimately define your life. That a, a quote I shared was that a, a famous church pastor said he could almost predict a person's life in 20 years by looking at the commitments they are making today. And we kind of discussed three core things that I believe it's essential that we commit to this year. We talked about committing to gathering in our local church, making that like a, a rock in our lives, making that a foundational thing that, that we have each week because we're designed to be in community. We talked about committing to serving, to, to taking the, the posture of a servant in every sphere of life, at work, at home, uh, in our families, at church, just becoming servant-hearted. And we talked about giving. We talked about honouring God with the first of our increase because that kind of protects our hearts and guards us from, uh, from the snare of materialism. And that was the first week. Last week we talked about I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. And it was kind of, we're talking about the fact that in order to live, we must first die. That in order to to really follow Christ, he talks about us dying to ourselves, around us laying down our lives, laying down our will, laying down our opinion so that we can pick up his will and his opinion and follow his way. We talked about that the great lie that the devil wants you to believe is that your, li your life is going to get less if you lay it down. He wants you to believe that your life is going to get smaller if you lay it down, but the truth is death to self is the gateway to true life. So that was last week. Our topic for today is I'm ready to heal. I'm ready to heal. So a bit of a contrast from uh, last week, I'm ready to die. Um, now that we're dead, we can heal. Um, so at first read, I'm ready to heal. You probably think, well, that topic seems like a no-brainer. 
Of course I'm ready to heal. Why wouldn't I be ready to heal? It seems like such a stupid topic. I'm ready to heal. But what I've learned in my life and observed in the lives of others is that sometimes we like the devil we know more than the angel we don't know. Sometimes we like the comfort of the situation that we're in over the pathway to true freedom. Sometimes we prefer the brokenness we know than following God into the life that he truly has for us. And that's not just true for us. We see this in the lives of the Israelites, the first people that God kind of set apart and, and made a nation for himself. And uh, in the beginning, they were a free people. They, they lived freely, but there was a famine in the land they were in, and they had to go to Egypt. They found refuge in Egypt, and they dwelt safely there. And the scripture says they grew, they multiplied, they, they abounded. And, and a new king of Egypt kind of came to power, and he saw them as a threat. He thought, well, these people are getting so prosperous and so strong that if we go to war, maybe they'll turn on us. So he came up with this plan to put the Israelites into slavery. It says in the scripture that the, the labor that they put the Israelites under was crushing, that they were without mercy, that their lives were made bitter, that the labor was so intense. And they were in this back-breaking back slavery for 400 years generation after generation of slavery, generation after generation of bondage, generation after generation of oppression. And it says in the scriptures that they called out to God, they cried out to God, and he heard their cry, and he sent a man named Moses to, uh, to lead them out of Egypt. And, and Moses came, and through, through mighty power and mighty signs, God would deliver his, pe- deliver his people from Egypt. He would deliver his people from slavery. He would deliver his people from bondage. And through Moses' leadership, he, the, the people of Israel would be led into the promised land, a land that had been promised to their forefather Abraham. And that land, it's a picture of the promise that we have in Christ, that we're delivered from the slave of, uh, we're delivered from the, the bondage of sin into new life in Christ, into a land of freedom. And so during this time, Moses would lead these Israelites through the wilderness. They had this period in the wilderness before they would get to their destination of the promised land. And there's a lot that we could talk about in that period, but basically they were learning, uh, they were learning who God was. They were learning how to be the people of God. They were learning what it meant to serve God. They were learning what it meant to not be slaves. They were learning what it meant to be people of God and to live their lives in relationship with Him. And, and that, that carried on for a period of time, but eventually they were right on the frontier of going into the promised land. They were right on the frontier and so Moses came up with a plan to send some spies to go and scope out the land and see what it was like. And so he sent 12 spies and they went and did kind of their first mission and and scouted out the land and they came back and they brought a report and they said to the people, the land is good. The land is flowing with milk and honey. The land is a bountiful land. It is a, it is a, um, it is a rich land. It is a fertile land. There is this beautiful land of promise that God has entrusted us. But then 10 of the 12 spies would say, but the people in that land are far too strong for us. But the challenges in that land are far too big for us. But the people will devour us. Whoever goes into that land will not live. They saw the challenges that were in the land greater than the promise that God had for them. They saw the giants in the land as bigger than the inheritance that God had promised them. And so we pick up the story here in Numbers 1, 1 to 4, or 14, 1 to 4, just after the people have given this bad report. It says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. 
Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. It would have sucked to have been them. Uh, If only we had died in Egypt. Man, what short memories. They were slaves for 400 years. If only we had died in Egypt. Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in this battle? And the ironic thing is God's done miracle after miracle after miracle leading up to this. But all of a sudden, it's like all is lost. We're going to die. Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Wouldn't it be better for us to just go back to being slaves? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Let us go back to Egypt. Let us go back to slavery. Let us go back to bondage. Let us go back to oppression. Now they wanted to go back to something they knew. They wanted to go back to comfort because the comforts of Egypt were safer than the than the pathway of freedom that God had for them. The comfort of what they knew was greater than the process of freedom and healing that God was going to lead them into. And what's true for the Israelites is true for us too. To heal, to find freedom, to find wholeness, it requires faith. It requires trust. It requires facing challenges. It requires stepping out and trusting God. It requires vulnerability. So sometimes instead of pursuing true healing, instead of pursuing the fullness of freedom, instead of pursuing the life that God has for us, we settle back in Egypt. We settle back with what we know. We settle with what's comfort. And we, we, we become content with a form of slavery instead of pursuing the free life that God has desired for us. I think one of the best illustrations of this is, is in John's Gospel. And I'm going to read a story in chapter 5. It says this, After this, there were a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So there were three feasts that the Jews would go back to Jerusalem each year. And they think this was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda. That means House of Grace in English, which has five Ruth colonnades, so five porches around the pool. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, nearly four decades. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew, benefit of being God, that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, going, another steps down before me. So an angel would come to this pool and would stir up the pool and basically the first person to get in the pool would be healed and he's saying, I can't get there. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Now there's a a lot of things in this passage and I just want to spend some time breaking it down. So I'm going to start in verse 2 to 3. It says, now there in Jerusalem... By the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So what we notice here is that there are a bunch of people gathered around their issue. 
There was a bunch of people congregating around their brokenness. There were a bunch of people, probably in categories, the blind people were probably with the blind people, the lame people were probably with the lame people, but there was a bunch of people gathering around their issue. And that's a truth that rings true today. People like to gather around their issues. People like to gather around their brokenness. People like to gather around what's wrong in their lives. People like to gather around these things and they define them. We see it in society all the time. We see it with the rise of these movements when someone's against something, then all of a sudden everyone else is against that thing and it becomes what defines them. We see it in church. Someone gets offended and then all of the offended people seem to find each other. It's like they, they don't even have to put out an email. It's just like they just draw to each other. It's like someone has beef with someone and then all of a sudden everyone's gathering around that issue and it becomes what, what defines them. People like to gather around their issues. And just on a side note, the church should be more known for what it's for than what it's against. The church should be known for grace. The church should be known for love. The church should be known for truth. The church should be known for hope. Yes, we've got to take stands against moral things, but we should be more known for what we're for than what we're against. So back in verse 2 and 3, we see that people were gathered around their issues. Now, if we drop down to verse 5 and 6, this is what it says. One man who was there, who had been an invalid for 38 years, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? He said to him, do you want to be healed? Can you, that's a bit of a strange question. The guy had been an invalid for nearly 40 years, yet Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Can you imagine the outrage that Jesus would be subject to if he asked someone that today? Oh, how insensitive, Jesus. You lack, you've got no compassion. What a stupid question. How rude is that? Imagine if he went up to someone and said, do you want to be healed? And they, and they had been there for 40 years. So it's very likely that there would be a lot of offence. But you see what Jesus is doing here is what, he's always, what he always does. He's getting to the heart of the issue. He's saying, do you really want to be healed? Do you want the responsibility that comes with being healed? Because you've been down on this mat a long time. And if you want to be healed, you, you, you can't be a victim anymore. You can't let this define you anymore. If you want to be healed, you have to take up the responsibility of a healed person. If you want to be healed, you can't be defined by what's happened to you. If you want to be healed, you can't, you have to let go of blame. If you want to be healed, you have to let go of excuses. If you really want to be healed, you've got to leave behind what's defined you for almost your whole life. He's saying, do you really want to be healed? And it's a good question for us. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Because if you want to be healed, you might have to let some stuff go. If you want to be healed, you can't be defined by your past anymore. If, if you really want to be healed, you have to own your own life. If you really want to be healed, you have to let things go. Do you want to be healed? Then in verse 7 it says this, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Notice this, the very person that can heal him is standing right in front of him, and he doesn't say, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed. He makes up an excuse. He says, I can't. I can't be healed. I can't. Someone always gets there before me. He had been on that mat so long that his life was defined by his illness, you know, and that's exactly what happens to us. Sometimes Jesus is saying, do you want to be healed? And we make up an excuse. We say, oh, but that happened to me. But those people said that to me. Last time I did that, I got hurt. But I've had so much disappointment in my life. 
I could never do anything like that. He's saying, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Are you ready to heal? Then in verse 8 to 9, Jesus says this to him. He says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Notice that Jesus didn't affirm his excuse. Now notice that Jesus didn't get down on the mat with him and lie down there and have a cup of tea and stroke his head and say, it's just so hard. Life's just so hard for you. And it's been going on for so long and everyone's against you and those people did that to you and you're a victim and that happened when you were a child. The guy's had a horrible life, but he doesn't get down there and enable him. He doesn't get down there and, uh, and affirm his situation. He actually wants to pull that guy forward. He actually wants him to walk in free life. He actually wants him to get up off that mat and walk. And in our society, we have an enabling culture where we want to be comforted rather than challenged. We want to be told what we want to hear rather than be told the truth. We want to stay in our brokenness and for people to feel sorry for us than for someone to say, rise up, get up and walk. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't come to sympathize with us. He comes to transform us. He comes to redeem us. We can come to him as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us in that place. So he says, pick up that mat. I want that thing that's that's defined your life. I want you to define it. I want you to redefine it. Pick up your mat and walk. But the thing is, is Jesus is asking him to do something that he actually can't do on his own. The guy can't pick up his mat on his own, but with Jesus he can. Jesus can enable him, and it's the same in our life. The the pathway to healing and freedom uh, in our lives is often one of difficulty and pain. It's often one of difficulty and pain, and we need to be enabled by Jesus. Just like the Israelites going into the promised land, there were giants there were challenges, there were enemies, there were battles that they had to fight. The road to healing isn't always easy. The road to healing sometimes requires opening up old wounds. The road to healing sometimes requires being vulnerable. The road to healing sometimes requires digging up things that have been buried. The The road to healing sometimes means you've got to own things in your life that you've never owned. The road to healing is painful sometimes, but there is so much more life on the other side of it. There's so much more life and health on the other side of it. And I've got a deep conviction around this because I've been experiencing this in my own life. You know, the truth is, is I probably haven't been through even half of what a lot of people in this room have been through, but life is really hard sometimes. And everyone has their own degree of pain and everyone has their own degree of challenges. And for me, it was only less than five years ago that I was on the mat. For me, I I was literally on the mat. I would spend a lot of my day on a mattress, hours of my day on a mattress in in physical pain. I was in mental pain. I had a sick soul. I I was in depression. I was in anxiety, and and I wanted to die. I was was suicidal. I was on the mat, and behind all those symptoms, I was on the mat of hopelessness. I was on the mat of despair. I was on the mat of broken dreams. I was on the mat of, of victimhood. I was, on, I was on the mat. In fact, yeah, I was so deep on the mat that I literally felt I had no, no hope left. I was completely defined by what I was experiencing in my body and what had happened uh, in my past. And I was lucky that I had some people in my life that didn't just sympathize with me, but actually said, Sam, I believe you can get better. Sam, I don't think this is always going to be the case for your life. Sam, there's hope for you, but there was a time when it resonated with me. There was a time when it resonated with me, and I said in my spirit, I'm getting up off this mat. 
I am not going to be defined by this anymore. I don't care if it kills me. I am not going to sit down on this mat and be defined by what happened, what's happened in my life. I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk. And I'll tell you what, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the hardest thing I've ever done because when you get up off the mat, you have to own some things. I had to own some things. I had to own the fact that I can't make excuses anymore. I can't hide behind what's happening in my body because I have to move past that. I can't justify what's going on in my life by, by what might have happened or hasn't happened to me. I have to own some things. I had, to, I had to own the fact that I was suffering from depression and anxiety. I had to own it. I had to own the fact that I was really afraid of some things. I had to own the fact that I had deep insecurities and a fear of failure. I had to own the fact that I was unwell. I had to own some things so that I could own them. And then I had to confront my fears. I actually had to get up the mat, I had to step out, and I had to start taking steps. I had to own the fact that even though I might be experiencing symptoms in my body, I didn't have to be defined by it, that God still had a life for me, and I can follow that call, and I can step out. And I started stepping off the mat. I went back to teacher's college, and for me, that was incredibly hard. When you haven't worked in about five years, and you put yourself in a stressful environment, and you want to be well, you have to actually start dealing with stuff that well people deal with. You have to deal with pressure. You have to deal with stress. You have to deal with deadlines. You can't just go back and lie down and be like, sorry, guys. And there were a lot of tears. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of crying. There were a lot of times when I was so close to quitting, but I made my decision. I'm not going to live back on that mat. I'm going to keep going, and it's scary, but I'm going to lean in to this insecurity. And, and God's started to restore me. I'm still on a journey. I'm still facing a lot of those things, but he's begun to restore my life, and he's actually starting to use me to help restore others, and I believe he wants to do exactly the same thing for you. He doesn't want you to be on that mat. He wants you to get up off that mat. You know your greatest pain is often your greatest ministry? Your greatest pain is often your greatest ministry. That thing that's defined you, God wants you to define it so that you can help others that it defines. Your greatest pain is often your greatest ministry. And so I just want to invite the team back up. You know, maybe for you, some really horrible things have happened in your life. Maybe the things I shared about my life, maybe they don't even scrape the surface of what's happened to you and, 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 and they shouldn't have happened and they're unfair, but maybe it's gotten to the point where they've defined your whole life. Maybe it's gotten to a point where you're on the mat of victimhood, where something happened to you and now that's the lens you see life through. Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus can heal you. He wants you to get up off that mat. Maybe for you, you're on the mat of disappointment. Maybe you tried, maybe you stepped out, maybe you followed things and it didn't go well and, and you're falling down on the mat and, and you're on the mat of disappointment, too, too scared to hope again, too scared to try again, too scared to step out again. No, Jesus is inviting you to get off the mat. He's got a better day for you. He's got hope for you. He doesn't want you on the mat. Maybe you're on the mat of offense. Maybe someone did something horrible to you, but offense got into your heart and it's permeated your life and you're on that mat of being bitter and you're on that mat of being offended. Jesus is inviting you to get off the mat. He's inviting you to forgive. He's inviting you into freedom. Maybe for you, you've been on the mat of shame. Maybe you've done some things in your life that you're really ashamed of and it's just kept you bound and you've made what you've done bigger than what Christ has done for you. The truth is, is what Christ has done for you is so much greater than anything you've ever done. And he doesn't want you to stay on that mat of shame. He wants you to get up. He wants you to walk with your head up, with your shoulders back. He wants to use you to bless others. Maybe for you, it's fear. Maybe you're on the mat of fear and insecurity. Jesus is telling you to get off that mat. 
He's got a life for you that's not marked by that. You know, maybe for you, you've been, you've been told that you're always going to be on the mat. Maybe for you, you've lived in a family that's generationally has lived on the mat, or you've been told you're always going to be like this. You're always going to have that problem. You're never going to overcome that. Jesus has got a different script for your life. He's got a different script from your life. He wrote every single day of your life in his book, and it's a good life. It's a life of confidence. It's a life of hope. It's a life of purpose. It's a life of eternal reward. And he's saying, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Walk into the unknown. Trust me. Trust me. Walk into the unknown. If you just want to stand to your feet, just want to close today with a question. What's your next step? It's a journey. It often happens in steps, but often the first step to the first step to getting off the mat is taking the next step, and it's often leaning into something you don't want to lean into. It's often taking a small step of faith, doing something that scares you. It's it's trusting God. And so my question as I close today is: Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? And if so, choose to stand up, take up your mat and walk, and trust God with that process of bringing you into restoration. So I'm just going to pray this morning. Lord, I thank you that you're, such, you're a God of grace and that you love us so much that you meet us right where we're at, but you don't want to leave us there. You don't want us to be partially free, Lord. You want us to walk in health. You want us to walk in life. You want us to learn to trust you. You want us to to learn to lean on you to overcome things. And then you want to use the pain and the things that have defined our lives to help others. And Lord, everyone in this room has a unique story. Everyone in this room has their own pain, has their own trials, has their own things that have happened to them. But Lord, you want to use it for your glory. Nothing is lost with you. And so Lord, I pray for each person in this room, myself included, that you would help us get off the mat of the things that are defining us, that you would help us stand, that you would help us take a step, Lord, and through your grace that we would find freedom from these things that are plaguing us. Pray this in Jesus' mighty name.